At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we began a new series that we called The Five Follows, Growing in Your Faith Along Life's Road. And as we kicked this series off, we really asked a question last week that is a question for all of us to answer. And that question is, where do you want to go this year? What is the the destination? What direction do you want to head? Where is your life going? And we saw last Sunday that from Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, there are two possible destinations for our lives. We can either be headed in the direction of destruction, or we can be headed in the direction of transformation. And when we ask those two questions and we have those two categories, I asked last Sunday, where do you want your life to go? And unanimously, last week, everyone was thinking transformation in life and not destruction in death. And I am guessing, by virtue of the fact that you have come back this week, or you have tuned back in online, that you are still in the camp of transformation in life. So how do we get there? What needs to transpire in our lives? One of the things we saw last week was we get to that kind of transformation, not by following ourselves, but by following Jesus. But but how do we follow Jesus? And in very practical ways, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? Well, we're going to be looking at that in very practical ways over the next five Sundays as a part of this series. Uh, Today, we're going to specifically be looking at how we can follow Jesus into his word and the importance of reading and responding to the word of God. We're going to be seeing that today. And specifically, today, we're, we're going to be looking at uh, the letter that Paul wrote to Second Timothy. But before we, we get to that, I want to just ask you, when we think about the Word of God, and we think about how the Word of God is something that we should follow and listen to, that it should instruct us, I want us to think for just a moment about who are the voices that you tend to listen to the most? Now, that's an important question for us to ask, especially in 2020, because there are so many different voices that are vying for our attention. Do I listen to this friend or that friend? Do I listen to this family member or that family member? Do I read this blog or that blog? Do I follow this Twitter feed or that Facebook post? Do I listen or watch this news channel or that news channel? I mean, it is challenging at times for us to figure out who we are to listen to, isn't it? And when you think about that, just in general in your life, how do you determine who you listen to? Well, typically, we will listen to those who know more than we do. Typically, we listen to those who are educated, those who have better experience than we do about whatever topic that we're wanting to listen to. That's one strand of people that we want to listen to. And the second category that makes that even stronger is if the one that knows more than us, we believe and know that they care for us. If we think that someone loves us and they know what they're talking about, we tend to take seriously whatever it is that they say. Now, I, I say that today because, friends, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the Word of God and the Scriptures, 
Friends, what you have in your hands is a revelation from the God who knows not some things, but the God who knows everything. God needs no education. There is no higher authority. So when we think of the Scripture, it is a revelation from the one who knows it all. And it is a revelation from the one who loves us intensely. God's love for us is not something we have to guess at. He doesn't just say it once, but God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we think of the scriptures, friends, we we are looking and holding in our hands a revelation from one who knows it all and one who loves us all. Therefore, we should listen to what this revelation has to say. This morning, we're going to talk more about the Word of God by using Paul's letter to Timothy as a backdrop. Now, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Timothy was really his son in the faith, and he writes in this letter at the very end of Paul's life while he is imprisoned and while he is awaiting his execution. So he has a time and a place to think about what matters the most, about what final lessons he wants to impart to his disciple. And that's what we get in his letter of 2 Timothy. And as Paul reveals this letter, there is a consistent theme from the front of that letter to the end of that letter. And that theme is that Timothy is to embrace, obey, and study the Word of God. So it's a fit text for us to look at this morning as we're going to pick a number of different verses from this letter to help us understand how we might embrace, obey, and study the Word of God as well. So if you've got a Bible, take it and turn to Paul's letter to 2 Timothy. It's near the end of your New Testament. We're going to spend our time there today. And as we look at 2 Timothy together, again, we're going to see three things. The first thing that we're going to see is that we are to embrace the Word. We're to embrace the Word. We are to receive the Word of God. We're to receive the Bible. We're to receive the Scriptures for what they really are, and that is the Word of God. Now, where do we see that in Paul's letter to Timothy? Well, we see it a number of places, but specifically, I want to draw our attention to chapter 3, verse 16, the very first phrase there. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. What Paul is saying in that moment is he says that the scripture is not just one person's opinion about God. It's not just someone's thoughts about God, but it is actually something that originates from God. It's not something that originated with Moses or David or Job or Peter, or even Paul. But there was an understanding that the Scripture was something that had its origination with God, that God literally breathed it into existence. Therefore, when we look at God's Word, we we have an accurate representation of the mind of God and the heart of God and the will of God. It comes to us in the Bible. Now, When I say that, what what do we mean? What is it that was breathed out by God? Well, he says it's in all Scripture. It's all Scripture that was breathed out by God. And by that, I think that what Paul intended was to have all of the Old and the New Testament in mind. 
the Old Testament, the 39 books about the events that went from creation up to the days leading up to the birth of Jesus, and then the New Testament, the 27 books that begin with the life of Jesus and go all the way through to the Revelation. In those 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, Paul says those 66 installments deliver to us the heart, the mind, and the will of God. They were breathed out by him. They originated from him. Now, when we hear that, some of you might be, you know, want, wanting to push back a little bit on that idea. You might want to say, well, what do you mean it, it came from, from God? It was breathed out by him. Weren't there human authors? What about Moses? What about Job? What about David? What about Peter? What about Paul? What about Matthew and John? I mean, isn't the Bible just a collection of their thoughts? But the reality is that the Scripture is not just a collection of their thoughts, but it's actually a revelation that God gave through them and was recorded and preserved so that you and I might have access to it today. The Scripture is actually something that was delivered not on a weekend, but it's something that was delivered over 2,000 years. Do you realize that the earliest recorded Scripture, most biblical scholars would say that the first Scripture that was written in the Old Testament was the book of Job, written maybe about 2,000 years before the time of Jesus? The last Scripture that was written was the book of Revelation, written by the Apostle John on the island of Patmos in the 90s A.D. And so you have a period of 2,000, 2,100 years over which the Scripture was delivered, and it was delivered through a number of different human authors. And some see that, and some hear that, and they think, well, that just seems like a convoluted process. If it's delivered over such a long period of time and in so many different cultural contexts and through so many different human authors, doesn't that make it suspect in some way? But friends, I would argue that it actually adds strength to the divine authorship of the Scripture. And here's why I say that. Though it is delivered over 2,000 years through all those different authors and all those different cultural contexts, it has an amazingly consistent message. The alternative would be that there was just one person on one weekend that wandered into the woods and came back with the tablets and said, this is the Word of God. If that's the way it would have happened, it's possible that that one individual was deceived. And we would not be able to identify whether it was or not. But because of the fact that God delivered it over 2,000 years through a number of different human authors and anchored its truth to historic events that are verifiable inside of history, it gives strength to the idea that this is a book of divine authorship, an expression breathed out by God so that we might know who he is. Warren Wiersbe reflects on this idea, and he says, the Holy Spirit of God used men of God to write the Word of God. The Spirit did not erase the natural characteristics of the writers. In fact, God in his providence prepared the writers for the task of writing the Scriptures. Each writer has his own distinctive style and vocabulary. Each book of the Bible grew out of a special set of circumstances. In his preparation of men, in his guiding of history, and in his working through the Spirit, God brought about the miracle of Scripture. Did you catch what Wiersbe was reminding us of there? 
He's reminding us that this book is not just a book that has miracles in it. He's reminding us that this book is a miracle itself, an expression of God, of his supernatural identity that he has given in time and preserved and delivered to you and I today. What we have in our friends, our hands, friends, is a miracle. So if you have a a Bible, I want you just to grab it, and I want you just to take it and, and just kind of wave it. If you got a phone or an iPad, that's okay too. We can do that. I see a lot of screens. It looks like a concert. You know, we are the world, whatever. All right, so here's the thing. So we, we hold in our hands. You held in your hands. You wave to the audience. A miracle. Wouldn't you love to touch a miracle? You have it in your hands. As God has delivered a revelation of himself to you and to me. And so if this book is of supernatural origin delivered to you and I so that we might know who God is, then there are a few things that we could say that that would lead to. The first is that we would understand that the Bible is true, that God is not delivering to us an error. He has not intended that. He, he has supernaturally been a part of this process so that what is delivered to you and I is truthful on everything that it speaks. There is nothing that can contradict it. If we find discrepancies, then there is something that we don't understand. It's not a problem with the text itself. The Bible is true, therefore it's reliable. Not only that, but it's intentional. God intended for this book to get to you. You realize that? This is not something that somebody, you know, hacked into God's system and downloaded a bootleg version of a file to distribute to the world. This is something that God intended for you to have. This is something that God intends for me to have. Therefore, we should read it, right? I don't know about you, but if I get a handwritten letter, I will, I will read that letter. Somebody went to the trouble to write it by hand. They put it in an envelope. They, they drop a stamp on it. They write my name on the outside, and they send it in my direction. When I get it, I, I understand that I'm intended to receive this. It is for me. In the same way, friends, the Scripture is intended for you. God has supernaturally delivered it to you so that you might know him. Not only is it true and intentional, but also it is to be valued. Because it is God's Word, we, we hold it at a level and a threshold different than other books. It's special in that way. I think that's what we see when we look at what Paul says in, in, to Timothy in, in chapter 4. He's concluding this letter, and he says, Timothy, I want you to come, and I want you to, to, to minister to me. I want you to bring to me the things that I need. He says, I'm cold. I want you to bring my coat. But he also goes on, and he says, I want you to make sure that you bring to me the books and the parchments. We don't know exactly what he was referring to, but I think he was talking about his copies of the Old Testament scriptures. Just please, please bring those to me. He doesn't say, bring me my favorite snack from this restaurant. He says, bring to me the scriptures because he understood and valued that they were the very word of God. Friends, when you think of the scriptures today, what is your attitude towards them? Are you embracing them? for what they are? If you did an audit of your life, does it look as though you value God's Word? I mean, you might, might look as though you value it enough to own one, but is it dusty on the table? Is it just a relic on the shelf next to the souvenirs from the vacations of days past? Or is it something that you open regularly and read that you need, that you feed on? Do you, do you value God's Word in that way? Why do we not value it? 
I think sometimes we, we don't value God's Word because it just looks so plain, right? I mean, you have your Bible, kind of grab it, look at it. My, my Bible, it's, it's not even leather-bound. It's just a little, you know, hardback book. It looks like a lot of other books that I have. And because it looks so plain on the outside, sometimes we forget the reality of what it is on the inside. Friends, do not let yourselves judge the book by the, by the cover. Remember what's inside it. In Jesus' earthly ministry, many people looked at him and they rejected the idea that he could be the Son of God. Why? Because he looked so plain. He looked so ordinary. He got hungry. He got tired. He bled. He sweat. That can't be supernatural, something that looks that ordinary. And those that rejected Jesus because he looked too ordinary for them ended up missing out on a tremendous blessing. Let's, let's learn from that mistake and not take a same attitude towards the Scripture. It looks ordinary. It's an app on your phone. But it's unlike every other app that you have. It's the Word of God. His truth breathed out so that we might understand who He is. Are we going to embrace the Bible, embrace the Word? Second thing that I think we need to remember, though, is that we ought to obey the Word. Obey the Word. Not just embrace it, not just value it, but actually look to it to find instruction for our lives. It's fascinating to me that when Paul talks about the Scripture, he doesn't just say, you know, put it behind glass and put indirect lighting on it so that it might be celebrated in your home. He says, I want you to read it, and I want you to let it transform your life. We look at chapter 3, verses 16, and continuing in verse 17, the verse that we began earlier. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, but then he goes on and he says, that same Scripture is profitable. For what purpose? For teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Friends, the Scripture is not something that is given to us simply to entertain us or to give us something to do or so that we could have a religious text like the rest of the religions of the world. It's given to us for the purpose of transforming our lives, of giving us a direction where we are to follow. It's interesting. He talks about it being profitable for teaching. That's setting our minds on what right doctrine is, what right truth is, so we would know what right looks like not only that we would understand those things and what right is, but also for reproof that we would be, you know, challenged if we wander into what is wrong. Not only would we know what right is, but we would recognize what is wrong. He continues, and that it would also be valuable for correction, so that if you find yourself in wrong, that you can find the way back to right. Not only does he say that, but he also says, and for training in righteousness. In other words, if you find yourself back on the right path, that you might be able to learn how to stay there. This is the Scripture is given to us by God so that we would understand what is right, what is wrong, and how to walk in the path that is right. So that we might be equipped for every good work that the Lord has for us. If you want to head towards transformation and not towards destruction, then listen to the voice of the one who understands life, the one who created life, speaks to us through the Scripture and tells us the way to go to transformation and to life. We're called to obey the Word. 
Now, what's fascinating when I think about this call to obey the Word, it's something that we absolutely need because we live in a world of such darkness. How will we find the light? I love, again, what Wiersbe continues to say. He says, the the times that we're living in are not going to get better, but we Christians can become better people. This transformation, we can become better people, even in bad times. We must separate ourselves from that which is false, devote ourselves to that which is true, and continue in our study of the Word of God. Then God can equip us for ministry in these difficult days, and we will have the joy of seeing others come to a knowledge of the truth. Friends, if we want transformation in our lives, let us listen to the one who created life, and let us walk in the path that he's laid out for us. Let us obey the Word. Well, if if obeying the Word is our intention, then how might we do that? Well, I think it involves us asking a simple question every time we hear a sermon or every time we go and read the Scripture. That we would ask the question, how do you, Lord, want me to respond? What is it that you want me to do in response to what I've just read or heard about? Well, when we ask that question, there are three categories that I think are helpful for us to consider. The first is, how do you want me to respond, Lord? Is there something that you want me to believe in this passage? Is there something that you want me to embrace, that this is God's Word, so I should value it? That's something that we should believe. Is there something in that passage that we are to believe about God or about who we are? Second question we might ask is, as we think about responding, is is there something to change? Is there something in my life that is not lining up with the direction that I'm called to go? Is there something that I should change? And just in light of this message, you know, yeah, I, I might believe that I value the Word of God, but I might not be reading it at all. Do I need to change that behavior? That's an application in light of this passage. Not only do we think that's a question we could ask, but also, is there something that we should continue? In other words, every time we read the Bible, we don't just find things we're not doing, but we might be encouraged with some of the things that we are doing. Even if it's inconsistently, there are things in our life that, you know, flames that might be fanned by the truth of God's Word. In other words, we read this passage and you're encouraged that the Bible is the Word of God. Well, I I might need to continue to read it. I might need to continue to be a part of a Bible study group or a church fellowship where the Bible is preached and taught and studied. Friends, these are different questions that we might ask that help us understand how we might obey the Word. So the first category of things we looked at is that we ought to embrace the Word. The second category of things is that we ought to obey the Word. But a third category that we need to think about in light of what Paul says here is that we should study the Word. We should study the Word. In other words, we should actually put work and effort into reading this text and understanding it all that God has included within it that we would grasp it. Now, I think what that admonition rests upon is this idea that this ancient text is actually to be understood as it was written. In other words, Paul does not come to Timothy and say, Timothy, I want you to just think about what God means to you. Timothy, I want you to innovate and make a new religion. Timothy, I want you to just give us your own personal take on life or truth. He doesn't say that. 
He comes to Timothy, and again and again and again in this letter, he says, Timothy, I want you to grasp, hang on to, guard, defend this ancient truth that was revealed in the Scriptures. Where do we see that inside of this? Well, first place we see it is in chapter 1, verse 14, when Paul encourages him and says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In other words, Timothy, you have been given truth. You don't, you're not asked to create truth, but you have been given truth in the Scripture. I want you to guard it. I want you to hang on to it. I want you to value it and understand it and protect it. That your soul is not drawn off in a number of different directions. He says, I want you to guard this truth. We, we see it in chapter 2, verse 2, when he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Paul says, I want you to take this same message, Timothy, that you received from me, and I want you to pass that message on to others. Again, it's not a call to innovation. It's a call to preserve the original third place we see it is in chapter 3, verse 14, when Paul writes and says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And he goes on to say, it's the scriptures that were taught to you by your mother and your grandmother at a young age. I don't want you to graduate from those truths, but I want you to hang on to those ancient truths. The things that you first believe continue to live out, continue to embrace. And then he goes on in chapter 4, and he, he, he says to, to, to Timothy there, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And what he's saying there is he says, There will come a time when the things that are popular to believe will not be the truth. But you, Timothy, I want you to continue to embrace and share sound teaching, not just popular ideas. Popular ideas change. Sound teaching is anchored in the ancient truth. There's truth that God intends, and it's the same for people in all places and all times. He has preserved it for us in his word, and he has delivered it to you and I with the idea that we would listen to it, we would read it, we would study it, and we would obey it. Now, if that's the case, that this was this ancient truth, Paul reminds Timothy that he is to seek to find the original meaning to that ancient truth. Not because God obscured it or hid it in some way, but because just a reminder that there is a truth that is there. So it's, it's, in other words, it's not as if he says to Timothy, I want you just to say what that verse means to you. It's as if he says to Timothy, I want you to know what that verse really means. And he shares this with us in chapter 2, verse 15. By the way, this verse is the anchor for uh, the name Awana. How many of you have participated in the Awana program here at Wildwood? It's a Wednesday night scripture memory club for kids. It's an international organization. Wildwood has a chapter of it that meets here. But in Awana, that, that, the idea of Awana is it's anchored in this idea of approved workmen are not ashamed. And it goes back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 and what Paul encourages Timothy with. Paul comes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want you to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul comes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want you to work hard at studying the scripture. I want you to do your best I want you to be a worker. I want you to put effort into this because you, you don't want to be ashamed. 
You don't want to misunderstand the revelation that God has given. He says there's a a way to understand this that is rightly handling the word of truth. This this phrase, rightly handling, I think goes back to, uh, it's used in a number of other places in, in ancient writings to refer to a number of things. One of the expressions of that word was used of tent makers as they cut fabric. In other words, if a tent maker would, would cut the fabric straight, it could be used to make a good covering for a portable dwelling. Paul was a tent maker. So as he writes, I think what he's saying is, I want you to make a straight line cut, Timothy, on the Word of God. Not looking at it to see what you think it means, but understanding what it rightly means in context. I want you to put effort into it. It's not just you know something that you do a little bit, but he said, I want you to really put work into it so that you understand what this ancient text actually means. And this is something that lies for all of us as well. The question is, if we believe that this is God's Word and if we have a desire to obey it, how do we know if we're obeying the right things? Well, the way that we know that is by putting in the work to study it to see what it really means. So the question is, what is your plan for studying the Word of God this year. I want you to just think this through in terms of three steps. The first thing is just to get a plan for studying the Word of God. Get a plan for studying the Word of God. You know, if you want to get in shape physically, you will set a plan. I'm going to run a certain number of miles a certain number of days a week. I'm going to join a health club, and I'm going to plan to go there and lift weights a certain number of days a week. Uh, you, you set a plan in order to accomplish your goal. The same thing is true of the Scriptures. If, if you want to study the Scripture and really accu- come to accurately understand what it says, then you need to put in the effort. You need to get a plan. Decide when you're going to read it. Are you going to read in the morning when you wake up on your lunch break? Are you going to read before you go to bed at night? Are you going to read from an app on your phone like the YouVersion app where a plan, a Bible reading plan can be established? Or are you going to decide to to just read another section of Scripture that you've determined that you want to read? Because let's be honest, if you just pick up the Bible, the Bible's a big book. How do I know where to start? But getting a plan is deciding where you want to start. This summer we've been in Paul's letter to the Philippians, and later this fall in September and October, we're going to go back to the letter of, to the Philippians. So maybe that would be your plan, that you would read a chapter of Philippians a day over the next month, would allow you to read through the letter twice each week over a month's time. You can begin to put in the work. You have a plan to accurately understand what that ancient text means. Get a plan. Second thing we can think of is, is work the plan. You know, it's one thing to decide that you want to read the Bible. It's one thing to buy the membership to the health club. But if you never actually go, you're not going to get any stronger. And if you never actually work the plan, if you never actually follow through and read the Scripture, then you won't get the benefit and the blessing of hearing the Word of God and having it illuminate your path. Work the plan. You say you're going to read in the morning, then read in the morning. You say you're going to read Philippians, then, then read Philippians. And as you follow through with that, make sure that you don't do it alone. Tell your plan to someone else. Share it with your spouse or your your children or share it with your small group or with a friend at work so that they might be able to hold you accountable and ask how that is going because you have this plan, you work this plan, we don't want to do it alone. And then lastly, I would encourage you if you 
develop this plan and you, you begin to step into it, what do I do as I read? Well, as you read the Scripture, you might think of reading it with three things in mind. The first thing that you might think about reading it and doing is just observing what it says. That means just read it. Before you try to jump to a lot of different conclusions about it or try to figure out what you're supposed to do in light of it, just read it. Just observe what it says. Ask questions of it. Just read the text. And then after you observe the text, then spend some time trying to interpret the text. What does it mean? This is where it might be helpful to ask a brother or sister in Christ. What do you, what, what, you have questions about it. Ask them what they think. Go to a commentary where you're able to ask old dead people what they think about the passage. But in the process of that, we're able to begin to hone in on not just what it says, but also what it means. And when what it means lines up with what it says, then, then we've got a firm foundation to then ask the question of application, what do I do in response to this? And we've already spent some time talking about that today. But friends, in, in all of those areas, we're able to take the knowledge that this is God's Word and truly value it by studying it and obeying it. And in that way, we can have the voice of God come to us and guide us and lead us towards the paths of transformation as we follow Jesus into his word. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just the opportunity that you've given us to open your word today and study it. We pray that you would help us now to develop a habit of consistently going back to your word that we might see and understand where you want us to go, that we would be corrected where we need correcting, we would be trained where we need trained, we would be taught where we need taught, so that we might be complete for every good work that you have for us. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.